2: The rampage of looting and violence that was triggered last Sunday left many people in downtown Chicago scared for their lives and or their livelihoods, and people all over the city shaken. It also left some officials pointing fingers and all trying to figure out what comes next. With all eyes on the criminal justice system now, the Cook County State's Attorney is calling for an approach that is really all hands on deck. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. I guess this weekend is state's attorney Kimberly Fox, who had her hands full this spring when protests against the police killing of George Floyd erupted into looting in the Central Business District and in some of Chicago's struggling neighborhoods. And now with some merchants and people still recovering, the Englewood shooting of someone police say was shooting at them was the catalyst for looting like we have never seen before. Social media posts urged crowds to come down and loot. And they did. More than 200 people were arrested. We'll talk about what happened next as we welcome in Kim Fox as state's attorney and before that, Chief of Staff for Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle. Kim Fox has been an advocate and a force for criminal justice reform. And really, the issues are not easy ones. And we're going to talk about all of that and more during this half hour. Kim Fox, welcome back.
0: Thank you for having me, Craig. It's good to be back.
2: Well, we might as well start with what Mayor uh, Lightfoot and Police Superintendent David Brown said back on Monday, which seems like so long ago. Um, (laughs) The superintendent said that the looters were emboldened by the expectation that there wouldn't be consequences in the criminal justice system. He said people arrested for looting. Uh, This spring got released, got charges dropped and figured that they could get away with more. The mayor called on your office, without ever naming you, uh, to make sure that there are consequences this time. Well, let's talk about what happened then and what's happening now. Um, First off, let's establish that uh, back then, not everyone that was arrested in May and June were charged with looting, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's the, the first place that we have to start. I think there's been this conflation of looters and peaceful protesters. And the reality is there were thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who took to the streets in the days after George Floyd's killing um, to protest. Um, And we saw young, old black, white out there peacefully assembling. Um, And then what we also saw was that there were groups that were not a part of those protests or maybe had infiltrated and broke off on their own and engaged with what we would call looting, the destruction of property, the taking of property. Those are two different groups. And the people who were brought to us by Chicago police um, for looting were brought to us to to charge and those folks have in fact been charged and those cases are pending. For people who were arrested, for example, for curfew violations, those peacefully assembled who were out past nine o'clock, those who were congregating in parks um, as part of those assemblies. Those cases, those peaceful nonviolent protesters, we made a decision that those cases we would not be pursuing. But unequivocally, without a doubt, we have been committed to prosecuting those who engaged in what we call looting, and those cases are currently pending.
2: And, you know, one of the things the, uh, the superintendent said is that, well, you know, these people haven't been, you know, the book has basically the book hasn't been thrown at them that they haven't been uh, before the bench. But that is not for lack of trying. Right. I mean,
0: yeah, I think we have to remember the courts have one just started to be revved back up. July 6th was when the courts were starting to be more fully operational. And most of the arrests that we're talking about from the immediate aftermath um, of George Floyd's killing happened at the end of May and early June. So those cases are making their way in the court the way other cases would be making their way into the court. But another thing that I think is really important to point out, you know, as reports have come, as people have watched the bond hearings over the last couple of days, a significant number of these people had never been arrested before. And so the notion that these are people who were looting before got caught, got away, and then are being arrested again It's just simply factually inaccurate. And so I think it's important, particularly because so much fear and anxiety after what we saw the other day, um, want, we want answers. We also have to be careful to not provide misinformation. Mm.
2: Um, well, let's talk about what happens with the uh, around 100 people who were arrested for looting this time. And there was, there, there was nothing to conflate. There were no protests. This was all looting. Uh, and, and, what, and whatever others may be charged because of video evidence that may come into play here, what happens to them this time?
0: So the way the process works is that CPD, when they want to get felony charges, they bring those cases to our office for what's called felony review, to review the approval of felony charges. I make that distinction because misdemeanor charges, where someone can be locked up for up to a year, police directly file those. We don't have any say in the charging of misdemeanors. Where our office has a say is in the charging of felony. And so as of uh, the time of this recording, uh, CPD brought us 42 cases, 42 cases that they were seeking felony charges on. And of those 42 cases that they were seeking felony charges on, we approved charges in 41 of those cases. And so it's important to start there. When they brought us charges for felony approval, they largely got those charges. Now, people will ask, well, you say 100 people were arrested. Well, why are you only involved in the 42? Because those were what were brought to us. So the other 60 CPD may have filed uh, misdemeanor charges. People may have been let go, but they weren't presented to our office. And that distinction is really important to make, particularly in light of the conversations we've been having all week.
2: Now, I'm going to stipulate that um your office has to has to deal in the law uh, as opposed to you know public uh, necessarily public uh, sentiment but you know during the first wave of, of of looting back in may you know there was a lot of talk about people even accused president trump of mixing looters in and, as you said conflating uh the looters with the legitimate protesters suggesting all were violent thugs but in terms of public perception Could it have been a mistake not to hit more people with more charges um, to send a message? Uh, Is it possible that people either from, and it could have been from the way we were reporting things too, but for people not to get the impression that there were serious consequences?
0: You know what, I'm not in the media game, and, and I leave that to all of you, but I do think the reporting around this, when we talk about that conflation, was based on the reports that we were seeing. And the reality is, those people were, in fact, charged. And when I made the announcement in my office that we were not going to be charging peaceful protesters and delineated on our website, in a press release, what specifically those cases were, we wanted to be crystal clear that we weren't talking about people who engaged in violence or destruction. So when this incident happened, last sunday i think for a lot of people the the hope i was that we would report on it accurately that these weren't the same groups of people um and that the process which i get you know as, as a person who works in the courts gets convoluted that people think 100 arrests what is the state's attorney done with all of those and not understanding the nuances of how cases are charged and so some of that is civic education some of it is uh, media perception. And quite honestly, a lot of this this year is driven by fear, anxiety. What we saw Sunday night um, would cause fear in anyone's hearts, and we want to be able to have answers. But we have to do the hard work of being honest and dealing with nuance, um, because that's what's expected.
2: Let, let's talk about uh at least the the sources of some of the words that were flying around. Uh, What kind of contact have you had with Mayor Lightfoot and or uh, Police Superintendent uh, uh, Brown since Monday?
0: You know, I've talked to uh, to the mayor, I should say, on Monday uh, after my press conference. uh, And we talked about making sure that we were clear that we're all on the same team. We all want to address what we saw in, in the city of Chicago uh, Sunday night. We all uh, share the same goal. I also wanted to make sure that we were clear in how we were assessing to the public how these cases are handled. Because I think you know the mixed messaging around who prosecutes these cases or how the prosecution process works sows confusion. And and so we wanted to make sure I wanted to make sure uh, that she understood that, understood the number of cases that were being presented to us um, and finding ways that we can work together to make sure that we prosecute these cases effectively.
2: Now, and you had an op ed piece in the Chicago Tribune this week. It's it's a call for cooperation among all levels of law enforcement. What is not happening now that should be?
0: You know, I think we could do a better job on the proactive side, I think what we see is on, we're, the reaction. And on the reaction, it is, you know, the superintendent has said this many times, you know, he's standing at a podium by himself. There's a lot of questions, a lot of uh, things directed at him, but the criminal justice system is a big ecosystem. And so it would be helpful if there were conversations before things happened, that there were, you know, if there were confusion, or misinformation that we're able to correct it in real time. Uh, That we all have a plan and idea of where we fit in. You know, my mother used to say, get in where you fit in. There's a role for everybody. And really clearly delineating what those roles are. And so I think we could certainly do a better job of that because again, as I said before, we all have the same mission.
2: But, you know, you and I have talked a number of times. And uh, when we were talking about uh gun violence across the city There was talk of cooperation all hands on deck that was, all hands on deck has been like the big the big <laughs> phrase of the last year yeah. but, but but all in all seriousness wasn't this going on before the you know george floyd shouldn't this have been going on before george floyd
0: it actually was going on before george floyd it is the reminder that i have to tell people. This moment in time is very scary, very angst-ridden, but it is also very different than where we have been in the county and in the city over the last four years. Violent crime was raging in 2016. It was all hands on deck in 2016. In 2017, crime rates went down. 2018, it went down even further. 2019, it went down even further. And that was the result of everyone coming together and trying to figure out how we can address this together, whether it was our gun crime strategies unit, uh, communities partnering for peace in the philanthropy space, all of us working together. What we've seen in the last six months is an uptick in violence, not just here, but across the country, you know, COVID and the angst related to that. These are different times. And it requires us to double, triple down on all of us working together. But I think because of the uniqueness of the circumstances, because of the fear and the anxiety uh, and the unknowns that we keep facing, that some of that has fractured. And that's my call today, is for us to recommit ourselves to what has been working in this city, in the county, for the last four years, which is a collaborative approach.
2: Um, Has anything substantive toward having that kind of a meeting been done yet? Or are we just in the middle of it so much that uh, you haven't been able to say, okay, a week from Monday or whatever?
0: You know, I think there's triage that is happening. There are conversations, as I said, I've had conversations with the mayor's office. I've had conversations um, with others in in the philanthropic space who are doing work on the ground. The pulling people together is coming. Uh, But I think that right now, in the midst of it, while we're trying to figure it out, still in the midst of a pandemic, Uh, there are ongoing conversations.
2: And one other thing, are we facing a different kind of, not just, I mean, gun violence, and we're going to talk about that later, but, but this notion of people saying, come down and start looting, I don't know that I've ever seen that before. And how, do, how does an office like yours handle something like that? This isn't a simple matter of getting the guys who were throwing the bricks and taking stuff. Somebody said, let's go do this. And do, how do you get to that?
0: Yeah, these are truly strange times, Craig. I don't remember this. That's what I said. With seeing what happened last Sunday night was so out of the norm that I think we're all trying to wrap our heads around that. Which again is why a collaborative approach of what are what is the intelligence that we have, what are the charges that we can bring, uh, what are what is the, the mechanism for when it happens again, we're all trying to figure out. This was truly, you know, as you said, this wasn't peaceful protests that have broken off. This wasn't some incident where we could anticipate days in advance. Um, it was truly unique. And I think it requires us to do an analysis of what happened here and how do we better prepare for that? You're
2: listening to News Radio 780s at Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and we're talking via Zoom conferencing so that we social distance uh, with Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. Well, let's uh, also deal with another as if an, not not enough things happened this week. Um, just before this week, the Tribune reported that. Uh, Uh, issued a report saying that you would drop more felony cases uh, than your predecessor, Anita Alvarez. I know people saw that headline. Uh, What is is the, first off, are the numbers right? And second, what's the explanation for the numbers?
0: Yeah, those numbers come from our office. It's one of the things that I am most proud of is that we are Transparent, we are the first prosecutor's office in the country to make every piece of felony case level data available to the public. And so those numbers were derived from our office. I think what it says is that our office has done a number of things, have focused our attention on dealing with violent crime. Uh, The the majority of the cases in which those uh, charges were dropped were low level nonviolent offenses. A significant portion were drug possession cases. Um, When I came into office in 2016, it was before we got to this point in history, the bloodiest year in almost 20 years at that time. And so many of our resources weren't going to addressing violent crime, but nonviolent offenses. Um, So that's one piece is that yes, we have dropped more cases involving low level, uh, nonviolent offenses than my predecessor had. The second piece is, you know, we have an obligation to not pursue charges where the evidence isn't sufficient. And so I I use, for example, people say, well, you dropped homicide charges. Uh, As the false confession capital of the United States, the history that we have with wrongful convictions, it is our obligation to not pursue cases where the facts aren't there. And we had a case just last month, a man accused of a quadruple homicide um, in Chatham four years ago that we dropped the charges because it became clear that he was misidentified. And when we don't have the right person, the person who committed that harm is out there. And so our obligation is to drop those charges where appropriate. And so I think it was an easy headline to like get people to say, oh my gosh. But the last point that was missing was that we've prosecuted and successfully prosecuted about 3,000 more cases in the last three years than my predecessor did in her last three. And so. Um, I say read the article. Um, I read the article and was assured that the work that we had been doing has been in furtherance of the safety of people of Cook County.
2: I wanna ask uh, about what happens to the efforts for uh, bond reform and court reform and police reform for that matter. What is an atmosphere like we're in now where people are afraid, where people are saying, I want to move out of downtown. People of businesses are saying, maybe we're not going to reopen. What does that do to the efforts for bond reform and police accountability and such?
0: You know, it certainly strains the attempts. But what is interesting to me is that just eight weeks ago, as people were taken to the streets in the wake of George Floyd and what appeared to be this awakening around the issues of justice, not just policing but our criminal justice system as a whole, there was a sense that people understood and got it. what i 'm fearful of is what has gotten us into the place that led to the marches is this reflexive response of fear. and we have known for far too long that we had a criminal justice system that had gotten out of control, largely driven by instances like we're seeing now that frighten us. And our instinct is to go back to what we know. And so, you know, I certainly will continue to push and engage and challenge our very selves of who we were just two months ago, recognizing that we needed to do better to have a fair and just uh, and equitable system, Um, but realizing that it becomes difficult every time we see instances like what happened last Sunday.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you you, you would probably not uh, succeed if you went down to Springfield, for example, and uh, and said, "Okay, here's here's my latest proposal on bond reform." Um, you probably get laughed know, off the floor. I don't
0: know that that's true, Craig. I, I honestly don't, because I think for a, a number of people who still understand, I, I think there are a number of people. I think we shouldn't assume that everyone is a monolith. I think for people who have been saying that we needed to reform the system while frustrated by what happened the other day, still recognize the utility. I think for people who have been impacted by what's happened, I think it is a responsibility for us to say that we can't go back. And so I know that there's conversations now around justice reform that, again, as we look at other jurisdictions across the country who are grappling with violence in ways that they haven't before, that they haven't retreated. And I think it is incumbent upon us to not even make the assumption that retreat is an option, that you must have justice reform to ensure public safety. They go hand in hand. This is not a trade off. And I think we have to keep reminding people that you don't have to trade off a fair and just system um, to achieve public safety.
2: But it's, it's like you said, though, they're, they're challenging times. Uh, and I know people aren't retreating because I, I moderated a, uh, a discussion on uh, justice reform uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And we, in fact, we ran excerpts of it on this program, but, um, and I'm not going to name names, but a, uh, a, uh, an experienced judge once told me that, uh, you know, it's inevitable for judges who have to make the main decisions on bond, uh, whether it's cash bond or, or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's, it's inevitable that you're going to free someone even with the standards that are there and that person's gonna go out and do something really bad mm-hmm. free on bond. And, but that person told me, but you know what? You can't lock everybody up and you have to have courage And maybe we ought to just start, and this is a judge saying this, maybe we ought to just start getting rid of the judges who don't have the courage to make those decisions. But I wouldn't want to be a judge (laughs) and and make that decision. Uh, You know, it it is scary. And you have to answer for it.
0: But we took an oath. And I I think that's the part. I, I really want to focus on the fact that all of the conversations around justice reform have, in the unwinding of a system that has been unfair, has been because of people not making courageous decisions. The easiest thing, Craig, is to lock everyone up. And that if out of 100 people, let's say three of them are going to go and do something. That's three too many. But what of the 97 who weren't? And these jobs are difficult. You know, it has been a difficult week, um, contending with the fear and anxiety that is real and palpable. Um, and also saying that we owe it to ourselves and the democracy and this justice system that we want to make the tough decisions, because we have seen people taking the easiest way out. you have seen people who have used this as political football and ammunition to advance themselves, but it has come at the expense of too many of our communities and our safety.
2: Well, as you, uh, just alluded, uh, this has become a political football as well. And I want to talk a little bit about that because you're up for reelection yeah. and, uh, the, the shootings that we've been experiencing over the last six months, the new round of lootings, all of that has given a uh, former judge, uh, Patrick O'Brien, your Republican challenger, new ammunition to attack you, uh, and I mean, you know, looking at our recent history, there have not been many Republican states attorneys in Cook County, but when they have come in, they have been elected on law and order. Um, that fear is a politi- can be a political liability, can it not? And how do you deal with that?
0: I mean, I, I think we have to do the right thing because it's right. I mean, there's a real choice that we have to make. Are we gonna go forward with a justice system that it ensures that people are safe, but is also fair and equitable. And that's what we're doing. I, I have, I think to the, to the degree that you see people coming for me, have stayed true to the notion that we deserve a system that is fair and just. And that means dropping cases where we're supposed to drop cases. It means recognizing the harms that have been called, righting the wrongs of wrongful convictions respecting the humanity of the people who come through our systems and maybe that's very different than the era when mr o'brien was in the office the era when we had um our jails filled with the, to the brim the era of john burge the era of wrongful convictions and i think there's a real choice and i think the people have made a choice in 2016 and in the primary that we want to continue to go forward even um in the difficult times and that's what's on the ballot this year
2: but people are afraid, and you know sometimes the when you say getting tough it it sounds good to a lot of people, even if they don't remember back far enough to how it worked. I mean perhaps more troublesome in that regard is the downtown aldermen, both Democrats, Brendan Riley and Brian Hopkins, who are saying they're not deci- they haven't decided whether or not they're going to support you. Um, I'm not sure we expected that. Maybe you did. Uh, And then, uh, I mean, but Riley's a committeeman. Uh, Ray Lopez, who's also a committeeman, is publicly saying he will not support you. Uh, Does that affect your confidence at all?
0: Not at all. Not at all. You know, listen, they have to do what they think is best for for themselves and for their uh, constituents. This is a job that will be decided on by the electorate. And the reality is, is that it's far easier for people to, in the aftermath of something, uh, talk rhetoric. We need action. And that's what we've been working on. And so I stand ready. This is the voters of Cook County who make the ultimate decision uh, based on what you just told me. That's three votes um, out of what <laughs> will uh, imagine be a, a strong voter turnout um, come November. But I, I have always run this office with the belief that we deserve a criminal justice system that recognizes all communities, all of them. And the people who have been impacted by the criminal justice system, whether it's the over 100 convictions that we've uh, vacated, whether it's the people who've not been needlessly caught up, appreciate the fact that that takes a level of courage. And that's what we're going to do. Public safety is my number one priority. But I also believe that we have to achieve that by making sure our system is fair.
2: Do you believe, and we only have about a, a little bit more than a minute left, uh, do you believe that in this atmosphere you can do anything that would make people feel safer?
0: You know, I don't know that that's a, a, a cis justice system thing. This, We all feel anxiety. We all feel Um, unsafe. These are times unlike anything we've seen in our lifetime and between a global pandemic, civil unrest, economic collapse, stay-at-home orders all at once, I don't know how to tell someone that if we locked up everybody that we saw that that would make this better. These are really challenging times and so I can't give that reassurance. But what I can say is that it calls for us to bring our better selves to this work and work together to keep all of our communities safe.
2: Well, that is going to be the final word. That is Kimberly Fox. She is the Cook County state's attorney. It is good to talk with you again. And uh, I'm sure given the way this year is going, we're going to talk again a a lot. Uh, But anyway, uh, thanks for spending the half hour. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can just follow the podcast links, and you can also find our podcasts on Radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM